I want to continue on with this, this Moses account that we've had and we've been looking at. We looked at the call of Moses in the fall. We started out this year, though, by looking at the life of Moses and in, in in his you know, interaction with his people, Israel, uh, in a different way. We've approached it from a different lens, uh, from the lens of change, uh, from the, uh, this idea of trust and transition, adaptability, and you know, what it means to just have God work in our lives as we're moving through these changes of life. Some of us may recall that last week we talked about change in a specific context. We talked about change and its reality, particularly as it relates to the change that flows into our life that we didn't want. And a lot of us, I think, know and understand that some of the most hardest things to deal with in life are the changes that we weren't anticipating, expecting, or desiring, and yet we have to deal with it. And we've talked a lot about that. We've talked a lot about how to negotiate transitions, how important it is to have an attitude that is um, aligning itself with, with God so that we can, we can receive a blessing even out of the thing that seems amazingly unfair. And this, this idea of unwelcome change, we talked about the principles of Philippians 4 last week, and uh, we, we ended with the serenity prayer. We examined that prayer and how we are encouraged to ask the Lord to give us serenity in things we cannot change and courage to change the things that we can and the wisdom to know the difference. We sat with that. So this idea of change is very relevant because all of us will experience change. Sometimes we spend years dealing with change that was sort of required from us because of the decisions, again, other people make or th things that happen in our economy or a variety of other things that remind us that we're not in control. And we have to deal with that. But I want to do something slightly different in the time that we have left. Um, I would like us to take this concept of change and flip it over. Instead of thinking about it from the, from the perspective of change that we didn't want and yet we're having to deal with, I want to think about a different, different kind of change. How about change that we actually desire? How about change that maybe sometimes is just connected to the fact that we're sort of stuck in a rut and we would like to see some breakthrough in some areas of our lives that we feel at this point are becoming, they're, they're wearisome to us. We, we, we sense the need for something new, but we feel stuck, maybe even paralyzed. That's certainly one kind of change that we might desire. But I'm also thinking about another kind of change that we desire. And it's when we find ourselves in the position of, of the people that we're going to look at today in the book of Exodus. When we find ourselves in a position where we, we like Israel, feel very um, hindered, uh, bound. Uh, we so badly want change because our situation is so difficult and so hard to negotiate. It's not just about, yeah, I'd like to do something new. It's about... It's about this is so hard that I don't know how I can keep going in this way. And I really need you to come through, God, in some amazing way to open up something for me that otherwise I just don't know how much I can, we have left to handle this. And, and there's that times where we need change because we feel suffocated, we feel bound up, we feel defined by our situation that just seems to have got us stuck so badly. And almost we almost feel, you know, it, it's repressive and and painful and discouraging. So thinking about that, that's the situation that Moses and the children of Israel found themselves in prior to the Exodus, prior to their breaking out of Egypt. Because if you recall, uh, for a number of decades after uh, Joseph and the descendants of Jacob and his family had come to Egypt, they grew into a mighty people. It says, though, the Bible tells us that there arose a ruler who did not know Joseph, a pharaoh, emerged. And over time, what happened was that the, the Israelites who were guests in the land had flourished so extensively that eventually 
through a series of events, they, they became enslaved in Egypt. And over time, the economy became very connected to their enslavement. And so you had, in, so by the time Moses gets back, goes back to Egypt in obedience to what God told him to do, to that this is the time to go free, free the people, that Israel's been accustomed to living this way for a long time. They've become accustomed to their enslaved condition. And what's more, the power brokers in Egypt, the pharaoh and the upper castes, had become also accustomed to the arrangement. So Moses is coming in to something that has been a status quo for quite a while. And his decision to, to follow God's you know, leading means that he's going to have to deal with a series of things that would be confrontational. And in those confrontations, we're going to see a, a, a lot of interaction between Moses and Pharaoh. There's going to be a lot of struggle before Israel is finally allowed to go. So with that in mind, I would like us to look at the, in the fifth chapter of Exodus, and I put a lot of these verses in a little smaller print in the handout. You're certainly welcome to read out of the scriptures directly, but in here are the pieces that we're going to look at. And again, in, in the fall, we, we looked at Exodus 5. Um, we skimmed it over. I want to take a more closely in-depth look at it. Now, what I, what I would like us to sort of be looking for as we move through this passage, and again, I'm going to try to just really get into it, is watch the, the back and forth between Moses and Pharaoh. And try to see, as we're reading this, if we can kind of get a feel for Pharaoh's uh, re reaction to what he sees as an, as an audacious request on the part of Moses to somehow, who, who are you? Now, there probably had been some word that this man named Moses was returning. Whether or not this Pharaoh knew Moses is hard to say. He knew about him, clearly. Remember, for the first 40 years of Moses' life, he had grown up as an adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was a prince in Egypt. He understood the, the court. He understood how to have a hearing with Pharaoh. That was where he had lived. But now is a much different, four decades have passed since he's gone. It's a much different situation. He is now going as a representative of his people to request for this situation that they find themselves in to end. But there's a first thing he, he's been instructed to do. Now, we know that when Moses returns and he agrees to go for God, I'm just quickly say this, when he agrees to go for God, the first thing he does is he goes back to the leaders of Israel. Yet they were enslaved, but they were allowed a degree of autonomy. And they were even, they had the ability to dialogue. And even, and even though their situation was very difficult, um, clearly, as we will see, it could get even more rigorous. And uh, Moses goes and he says, look, basically God has revealed to me that this is the time when he wants to set you free. And if, he, if, if you will hear my word and listen to what God is saying, this is the moment. This is the time. No longer will you be here. God has a new plan for this people. And they agreed. They said, we believe God has spoken to you. And, we believe, and it says they bowed and they worshiped God together. The elders and the leaders of Israel agree that God is in this. And so they send Moses. They say, go. Go with our blessing to speak with Pharaoh. So what happens is this is what occurs here. It's this interaction that's happening. It says that after this presentation to Israel's leaders, Moses and Aaron, and we're just going to move through this. Moses and Aaron went and they spoke to Pharaoh. And again, Moses had asked for Aaron to be a, a participant in this with him and to be his spokesman. So Moses and Aaron, his brother, basically went to, to sp and spoke to Pharaoh, and they told him, look, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, 
is saying. He's saying to you, let my people go and let them worship and, and hold a festival for me in my honor in the wilderness. Basically, they're looking for an initial opening that will ultimately lead to the freedom of the people. Basically, they're saying is God was requiring us to worship him, and you need to let us go and do this. You need to let us stop our work and go and worship our God. This is the first time, by the way, the Lord has ever referred to as the God of Israel, the people in the scriptures. And then here's, look at Pharaoh. Is that so? Retorted Pharaoh. And, and tell me now, tell me, help me understand this. Who is this Lord that you're talking about who somehow I'm supposed to listen to to give you uh, freedom to go off and just take a three-day vacation? Uh, I don't know anything about this Lord that you're talking about. Who is he and, who, and what is his voice that I should obey it? Why should I let Israel go? I don't know this Lord and I will not let Israel go. Has that any, can I be any more clear than that? So it's a clear, I mean, he comes back and he says, I don't, have you, what, I don't know about this God that you're talking about, but this God is not that impressive to me. Because if you haven't noticed, he leads a bunch of people who are enslaved. So you know what? If, if that's the, I ruled the, the people of Israel. And so you know what? The answer is, is, I can't even believe the impression. I can't even believe you're asking me this question. The answer is absolutely no. I don't have any concern about your God. He scoffs at Moses' request. Look at what happens. So then, Aaron and Moses decide, well, and specifically Moses says, well, maybe if we come in a slightly different way, if maybe we appeal to the more superstitious component of Pharaoh, if maybe we bring our, make it more of a request, perhaps um, ask him to be more sympathetic because he, he understands certain dynamics, that perhaps this will move him. Look what he says in verse 3, and Moses and Aaron persisted. The God of the Hebrews has met with us, they declare, so let us take this three-day journey into the wilderness so that we can just, all we want to do is offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. And, and perhaps in something that was a bit exaggerated, but nonetheless, was designed to get Pharaoh's attention. And if we don't, he will kill us with a, a plague or with a sword. And Pharaoh replies, he's unmoved. He's unmoved. That doesn't affect him at all. He says to Moses and Aaron, Moses and Aaron, why? Why are you distracting the people? Why are you causing all this commotion? Why are you even here? Who, what, what are you doing bringing this up? What are you trying to achieve? You're just getting the people all mixed up filling them with false hopes and, and expectations, getting them off what they're supposed to be focusing on, which is their work. You know, in fact, you get back to work. Verse 5, look, there are many of your people in the land, and right now you are stopping them from working. And then on that same day, now, this is what happens. So the answer is no. Get back to work. I don't even want to talk about this with you. Basically, get out of here. On that, but you know what it appears that happens? If we look at, there's a space between verses 5 and 6 because it says that, Pharaoh started to think about it. And the more he thought about it, the angrier he got. The more he thought about the request and the fact that he was even have to deal with this, the fact that they had such audacity to even come and make a request, the madder he got. And like someone who's sort of been intoxicated with power and who's going to do everything he can to stop it, to stop any type of change, Pharaoh says basically as he thinks about this, you know what? Who do they think they are? I'm going to... I am going to totally undercut the credibility of Moses and Aaron besides the fact that they, I'm so upset right now, basically. You know what I've decided? Not only am I not going to let them go, guess what? We are going to make it even harder for them to do their work. Up to this point, all we've required them to do, we've provided them with the raw materials, and all we've asked them to do is, is basically they, they are to construct the brick out of the raw material and then build the edifices that they're commanded to build. We have an arrangement. But you know what? That arrangement is changing right now. 
because of your request, basically. You know what? From now on, you are not only are they going to be expected to do the same amount of work, construct the bricks, build the projects, but on top of it, the raw material, the straw that they've been getting supplied to them, guess what? That's over. They'll be getting their own raw material and still be expected to do the same amount of work. Look with me, verse 6. It says, that same day, Pharaoh sent this order to the Egyptian slave drivers and the Israelite foremen. Do not, listen to me, do not supply any more straw for making bricks. In fact, make the people get it themselves. But still require them to make the same number of bricks as before and don't reduce the quota. You know why? They are lazy. That's why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. This is what, load them down with more work since they have time to think like this. Make them sweat and that will teach them to listen to these lies. And so the Israelite foremen, when they were told this, they went to Pharaoh, verse 15, and they pleaded with him and they said, please, 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 don't, don't treat your servants like this. They begged, please. We are given no straw, but, but the slaves' drivers still demand, make the bricks, and we are being beaten, but it isn't our fault. We can't do it. You're asking too much of us. Your own people are, are to blame. They're requiring things of us that we cannot do. Look what it says here. But Pharaoh shouted, you're just lazy. Lazy, that's what you're saying. That's why you're saying, let us go and offer sacrifices to the Lord. No, no. Now get back to work. I don't want to talk about it anymore. No straw will be given to you, but you must still produce the full quota of bricks. And the Israelite foreman could see that they were in serious trouble when they were told, you must not reduce the number of bricks you make each day. And they left, look at this, and they left Pharaoh's court. And as they left, notice this, they confronted Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them outside in the courtyard. And the foreman said to them, may the Lord judge you and punish you because you've made us distinct before Pharaoh and his officials, and you have put a sword into their hands, and you've given them an excuse to finish us off and to kill us. And, and you, you can just imagine this moment, if you will. I mean, basically... There's this confrontation. They're walking out. They've just been completely lambasted by Pharaoh. They've come out of this thing. You get, you, you get this work done. You get your own raw material. You don't, I don't even want to talk about it. Get out of my presence. They're walking out, and then they see Moses and Aaron are waiting there out, out in the corridor. And if I'm Moses, I'm going, I, 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 you know, thanks. A, they, they turn to him. They say, thanks a lot. Great job. You and your big ideas. You and your God ideas. We didn't even, and if I'm Moses, I'm going, I didn't even want to go in the first place. I didn't even want to be here. This wasn't my idea. I'm I doing what God told me to do. I mean, you know, not only is he, listen, not only is, is every, everybody's mad at him. Everybody's, Pharaoh's mad. Pharaoh's so mad at him. Who are you? Who do you think you are? His own people walk outside. They're saying, you, you're a fool. What are you going to try to get us all killed? What kind of, what kind of a crazy man are you? And even more than that, it says that they, they, they basically said, we want you to be, may the Lord judge you and punish you. They curse him. And I'm, and I'm Moses, and I look to Aaron, and Aaron's probably going, well, don't look at me. I'm just listening. You're the one that said you heard from God, right? I, I, I just, see, this whole idea, I can tell. Moses is probably going, Lord, what, what, what are you doing? What are you doing here? And Moses, look what it, look what it says to I me. Mean, he's, he's clearly, this is just hit him so hard we we wish you'd never came who do you think you are you, you kill you're gonna get us killed 
Get out of here. Moses, Moses is clearly stunned. Um, he goes back, it says to the Lord, in, his, in this moment where he's just talking with God. And he, but it says here in verse 22, look at it. It says that Moses went back to the Lord and he protested. He said, Lord, look at this. Why have you brought all this trouble on your own people? Lord, why did you send me? Listen, ever since I have come to Pharaoh as your spokesman, he has been even more brutal to the people, and you have done nothing to rescue them. Basically, what are you doing, Lord? Why did you send me? I did what you told me. I asked him. He's not budging. He's more brutal than ever. Lord, I don't understand. Why did you have me do this if you're not even going to show up? And now everybody's mad. I didn't even want to do it in the first place. You made me do this. I don't understand. The people aren't better. They're, all, they're worse off. That's a, and then the Lord responds. He doesn't, say, he doesn't get mad at Moses, but he tells him something. And, it's, and we'll just put this up. It's the, it's the first verse of the sixth chapter. It's an artificial sort of stoppage point in the, the chapters just inserted there, but really it's a continuation. And what the Lord does is the Lord says, now listen to me right now. Listen, now you are going to see what I'm about to do to Pharaoh. And in one of the phrases that I really love, when he feels the force of my strong hand, listen, I tell you this, Moses, he will let my people go. Not only that, not only will he let them go, but by the time we're done here, he will be begging them to go. He'll force them out of the land. He'll so badly want to get rid of it. He'll do anything he can to let them go. That's how this is going to play out. Now, okay, take everything that we just looked at. Let's now insert this idea of change. There's so much there for us to learn about breakthrough change, about change that we want to see happening in our lives. Here's something. We'll just put this on the board to start with. One of the first principles when it comes to change is this, that breakthrough change rarely comes without conflict. It's especially true of anything at the spiritual level. When we're trying to actually bring something positive or something uh, of a responsive a responsiveness to God that will produce a blessing, uh, something of a change. It's true in any actually real endeavor that's, that we really are pursuing that, we want to, that has quality attached to it. It's going to cost us something. Rarely do things just kind of fall into our lap. They're usually a product of effort on our part. We're contending for something, but that will often bring with it conflict. Sometimes the conflict is inside of us. Sometimes it has to do with things that are external. But there's, there's going to be resistance when we're trying to move forward. You see that. We all see it. Moses, you know, Moses, I think, theoretically, he understood it. I mean, think about it. When, they were, when he was in front of the burning bush and he was having this conversation with God and around that, that he's, he's being told, you know, when you go there, you're going to tell them this, but they're not going to listen to you. And it's going to take a, a power confrontation to break Pharaoh. I just want you to know that ahead of time. Now, Moses knew that experientially, but when you, but I guess I should say he knew it theoretically, but by the time he actually got there, it, experientially, it, it wasn't connecting with him. And I think he was under uh, some type of a, a misconception that it was going to be, uh, uh, go play out a certain way, that if he just did what God told him to do, then, you know, it was just going to all break through. It was, in other words, you see Moses, here's why. He comes out of that first exchange with Pharaoh almost shocked. He's, he's the, when he says it, you know, can you just let them go? To, I don't even ask them to go. We just want to have a little time to worship God. He's just trying to create an opening. He gets 
it's such an aggressive response towards him that it, it's, it, it catches him off guard. He comes back and he tries to appeal to him in a different way, in a, in a more, he, in almost more humble way. He gets trampled on. It becomes clear to Moses, I think, at that point that, you know what, this thing, <laughs> I mean, the clear message is it is not going to be easy at all. This is going to be hard, very hard. And there are some areas where we're trying to get free. God is trying to free us. He may have something already in motion. And we are, we are seeing the potential for freedom and breakout and change. But there is coming, and we can sense it's near, but there is this amazing resistance. Sometimes it has to do with stuff that's in us, again, of our past. It might have to do with situations that are around us. But how hard it is to really get break out of that and to break into something new. And Moses is feeling that. I mean, he's feeling that resistance. And, and again, the, there are certain things that in our life with God, they're just not going to come easy all the time. And it's, it's, it's going to be more resistance than we initially realized. And we need to be okay with that. We need to see that. Now, now and it leads me to the second piece here, which is this, that there are some situations that are only going to be changed. There are some, you know, things that can only be dislodged by the power of God. That it's, it's, this is not going to be a human thing. This is not going to be us somehow um, using our you know, superior intelligence or ingenuity or human energy or craftiness or ability or cunning or our skill sets. It's not, those things will not, there are some situations in life where all that we know and all that we've come to be able to rely upon will not get it done. And in that place, there are moments where, and it happens to all of us at certain points where we go, you know what, in this situation, I need God. And I need you, Lord, very badly. I need you. And in that moment, a lot of times it's in that breaking place where we have our most significant relational work done between us and the Lord. That it's in that place of desperation when we are absolutely convinced that we cannot do this. That in that place is when we often find that it's in our breaking that the avenue is opened up for God to move in a different way than he's ever moved in our lives before because we come to the realization that we do not have the capacity in our own selves to solve this problem. I'm going to need your grace to show up in my life, Lord. I'm going to need you to be present with me. I need your power in my life. I need you, Lord. It doesn't mean I'm not going to tr do things on my own to try to work at this, but I realize this is not going to be solved by me. And that is, that is why there are some places in life that to be broken is a gift from God. Because, because think about it, who are the people that the Lord said he had the hardest time getting through to? It was the Pharisees in his day. And they were, they were the most intelligent, the most trained, the most powerful people of Jesus' day. And yet he consistently struggled with them. He says, because you do not see your need. You are insulated from your need. Your gifts, your 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 privilege, your understanding, your intelligence is actually hindering you in this moment. And if God were to strip that away, you could see what some of these people that you've written off as being sort of nobodies in the eyes of God. But I tell you this, 
they have nothing to lose, and so they are open to me. And because they are open, they can see this marvelous thing that God is doing before their very eyes, while you, who should see it, cannot see it because your pride has blinded you. And the and, and Bible is very clear about this, that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble and the broken. And I remember when I was a young, young follower of the Lord, I was just beginning to, to sort of, you know, grapple with my faith. And, and I remember hearing a song, and all these years, the, there's a part of that song that has stayed with me. It's kind of a poem. And it says, blessed is the man who knows his need. Blessed is the man who knows how to plead. For in his pleading he will find that his pride has made him blind. And by asking, the door is open wide. There's this place in our lives where the Lord will show up for us in unique ways. And I find in my own life that, that God often shows up in those places when we are most desperate and most broken and most humble and most open. I, I say that because, again, there's a whole portion of Scripture in the, in the handout as well from Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. Have you not known? Look at it, if you will, with me real quickly. Have you not heard? that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the what? To the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Look at this. And even the youth shall faint and be weary. Now, look, even the young men shall utterly fall. It's like the prophet Isaiah uses his, the two greatest examples of, of energy that he can think of. He says, even the youth, those with youthful strength. He goes, even that there is a limit to. He says, and even those who we often say are the most powerful coming into their moment, he says, even the young man shall utterly fail. He goes, but I tell you this, that they who wait upon the Lord, that is the one. This is not in our own ability. There are some things that will not be by our own ability. It will be by the power of God in our lives. They who wait upon the Lord, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall man up with wings like eagles. They shall run. They will not be weary. They shall walk and they shall not faint. They will be able to push forward in areas that otherwise would have defeated them. And I think there are some situations in life where it's clear the enemy is so fierce, so powerful, the stronghold is so, so heavy, so hard, so difficult to get breakthrough and that it's going to take God and we need to invite him in and allow him to come and to begin to work with us. Just like Moses was becoming to realize that this is not going to be so easy, it's going to be very hard. And here's the third thing. Here's what also Moses came to realize. Over time, he would, but it's a great principle. Sometimes it's going to, listen, get worse before it gets better. Some breakthrough is going to require us to endure setbacks and disappointments. And I think that the great challenge in those times, loved ones, is not to become disheartened and quit because there always will be that temptation to just give up. And I'm telling you right now, um, a lot of times, listen, stay with me. A lot of times we start out well and, and, and we do it. We do what we're supposed to do. We, it's just, if I can use the analogy, we're, we're before the bush. We're arguing with God. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. God says, you got to do it. You got to do it. We say, all right, I'll do it. I go. I go and do it. I walk up. I go to Pharaoh like I'm supposed to. I speak the words. In other words, I didn't just think it. I just didn't say, I'll do it. I did, we did something. And then as we do it, as we do what we think we're supposed to be doing, it wasn't just words. We take action. We have a purpose and in plan, but instead of, of what we were hoping would happen as a result of our faith-filled, courageous movement of obedience, instead of the breakthrough, we're not only met with resistance, we're met with enormous resistance. And not only do things, listen, not get better, they get worse. 
And all we did, we did what we were supposed to do, and instead of it getting better, and then, and then we may even, like Moses, get criticized and blamed. That's what happens to him as being foolish and unthinking. What were you thinking, you reckless fool? I mean, that's what Moses is being told. What got into you? People may even start blaming us for making it worse. You made it worse. And I'm not sure what was more difficult. Just listen, what was more difficult for Moses? Was it being rejected so forcefully by Pharaoh? Or was it the fact that he was rejected one more time by his people? Lord, is that stuff I didn't want to go in the first place? I, I felt, Lord, that, see, he, remember how much it took for him to get past his wound? They didn't want me the first time. They're not going why to, why do I need to go back there, Lord? You go back. He goes back, and this is what I thought was going to happen. They not only, they don't want me. They never have wanted me. I wonder if when Moses turned around, and I did just in your mind's eye, because the Bible just gives you like broad strokes. But in that moment where after his people tell him, you, you, why did you show up in the first place? You made it worse. I wonder if when Moses walked away from that, that if, if that ringing in his mind, if it did not take him back to another period in his life where he had felt that sting of rejection again. Why did you put me in this place, Lord, to get hurt again? Again. There, where are you? Why are you doing this? I did what you wanted me to do, and this is what I get. That's, that is what, and this is the last thing we'll say about it. It's our last, last thought here is that in those times, we are invited to speak honest words and to honest, speak honestly to God and listen for his words. I, what I love about this part of this moment here is that he, Moses, is just, he's so real. It's raw. He's wrestling with God. He's expressing his heart. He's expressing his frustration. He's saying, Lord, is this how you treat your spokesman? Lord, where are you? Where are you? I did what you told me to do. Your people are no better off than they were before. They're worse off, and they don't even want me anymore. And I'm telling you right now that he wanted to get out of there as fast as he could. It's a bad idea. And what does the Lord say to him? You listen. You stay with me. You need to trust me right now. I know there's a part of you that wants to run so fast out of this thing. You just want to quit. You want to give up. It's like the Lord is saying, but you need to be strong. And listen, some of us, when our, our faith, when our faith is wavering, we need to ask God to fill us with faith. With faith. And you know, some of us say, well, I don't have that. I don't, I don't know how to do that. You know, surround, surround ourselves with people who will speak faith, encourage us, remind us to stay with it. The surround sound <laughs> of faithful words coming from people to strengthen our hand when everything in us wants to quit or is doubting God's goodness, his reliability, his faithfulness. You had me walk the plank, Lord. I did it, and I got nothing to show for it. You owe me an explanation. Now, in Moses' case, he got one. And the Lord invites us to come to him honestly. You know, yes, there's times we, how can I say it? It's like the Lord is saying to him, look, Moses, I know you want to quit. I know this doesn't make sense to you, but I need you to hold the line. And I don't know something about this passage, and I just put it this way. And for those who have an ear to hear, let them hear. But some of us, the Lord would say, I need you to hold the line. 
there are some families where everything depends on one person holding the line. There are some situations in the church community where everything depends on a handful of people holding the line. There are some situations where God is trying to do an amazing thing, a deliverance of sorts, and everything counts on someone or a few or a, or a people holding the line. And can we? There will, there will be reasons why some of us can quit, give up, throw our hands up and say, why bother with this God? Where is he? Why aren't you showing up? I did what you wanted, and it's worse than what it was. I think of Jesus when he turned to his disciples, when after the, the, the specialness of his ministry had worn off and he started saying things, he started dividing people. He required, he lifted the bar very high, he started talking about his own death. And everybody started to leave him. And he turned to his disciples and he said, you can also leave me. You can also go away. And that's when Peter said, Lord, where are we going to go? We believe you have the words of life. I got nowhere else to go. I'm with you. Now, he, listen, there are going to be times where God is going to need some of us to hold. There are little ones who are going to end up either loving or rejecting God because of decisions and unwillingness to hold. There are some situations where people are destined to come to the Lord, but a lot of it's going to depend on our willingness to hold. There are situations where people are intended to be delivered from things and life is meant to flow, where curses of the past are meant to turn into blessings, where a new line of blessing is to come, where there has been division and death in the past, and life is to flow, but everything depends on our willingness to hold the line. Have faith, trust me, Moses. In these moments, see, the thing is, God needs people to be willing to, not perfectly, none of us, but who are willing to say, I will set, I will be, I will be a pacer. I will try. I will try to honor you, God, with my life. I will do it, not just when it's going my way, not just when everything turns in my direction, but when everything in me wants to quit, run, disbelieve, I will, by your grace, I will hold I will hold, and people need to see people, men and women, hold the line. It's important. Christ is ultimately going to be revealed by the people who claim to love him. And when it really shows up is when it's hard. When it's hard. Lord, you who are the giver of life, you are the giver of dreams and you are the giver of breakthrough. And I ask you, Lord, to just to, to keep working in our lives. There are situations we find ourselves in frequently, Lord, where part of us is, is just wanting to give up. And we, we got nothing left. And maybe sometimes we're being misunderstood. I don't know, Lord. Maybe it's our own doing. But in these places, I just pray that you would fill us with strength and courage, Lord, and, and, and give us the voices around us to, to encourage us to trust you. And Lord, I know we, we so desperately need you to show up in these moments of our lives. And I pray that your strong hand would be revealed in Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord, that you would come, Lord Jesus, come. And you know our heart, Lord. You know our fears. You know our struggles. And you know our questions. But you're bigger than all of those things. So keep working in our lives. Help us to stand when everything in us wants to run. Help us to bear the weight when part of it is just wearing us down. And where we strengthen our hand, Lord,
to do this good work, to run and not be weary, to walk and not faint. This is what we pray, Lord. So I pray that you'd bless these closing minutes, this closing song, our time of giving, as we honor you as a community of people. Pray that you would be blessed in all these things. Keep our heart in a good place for the glory of the King until the day we die and live again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.